0: Welcome to the Venture Church podcast of Venture Church in South Mississippi. Find out more about us at VentureChurch.org. Welcome, guys, wherever you are today, right here in the East Venue, over there in the North Venue, at all four of our campuses, especially you guys down there in Gulfport, right here at 11 a.m. in Gulfport High School. Hey, thank you, man. Thank you for setting up and taking down... Thank you for being there today and inviting people. I'm Craig. I haven't met you, uh, but I'm a campus pastor here at our Lincoln Road campus, and we hear incredible things. Thanks for being a part. Hey, how many of you know that teachers have the best stories? I mean, it's just something about teachers. Maybe because they're spending all day with kids and their imaginations, but if you grew up in the house and mom and dad was a teacher or your husband and wife was a teacher, they come home with some of the best stories. And my wife's a teacher. She's been a kindergarten teacher. She's been a first grade teacher. She teaches ESL now. And One of my favorite stories that she tells uh, is back when she was teaching first grade and she had a little boy that she loved and, just a, and, she, and, and my wife's sweet. and She builds relationships with these kids and she gets to know them. And she just built some trust with this kid and knew and she knew his heart and, and she began to watch him. It got towards the end of the year and he began to make some poor decisions. And, man, her heart just went out. She's going, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And finally, they were at the playground. It all happens at the playground, right? And they were on the playground, and he just kept doing the things he shouldn't do. He kept saying yes when he should have said no, and he kept saying no when he should have said yes. And finally, they had a moment right there on the playground, on the bench, knee to knee. She said, hey, what are you doing? I love you. I know you know better, but you keep making some of these decisions. You're making the wrong decisions. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? And he said, well, Miss Katie, you don't understand. There's a little red guy over here on this shoulder, and he keeps telling me all the wrong things to do. And then there's a green guy on this shoulder. He keeps telling me the right things to do. And she said, well, which one have you been listening to? He said, I've been listening to that red guy. And we understand that, don't we? I mean, there's times that we choose to listen to the wrong voice, source code. We're in the fourth week of this series. And this series has been about exactly that, why we make some of the decisions that we do. Why do we do the things that we don't want to do? And I want to encourage you because, listen, that little first grader, he was brave enough to kind of confess and to come clean with why he was doing what he was doing. And you and I aren't the only ones that struggle, that sometimes we do the things that we don't want to do. In fact, I'm going to show you a passage today that's going to make you feel so much better about some of the poor decisions that we make all the time. Paul. Listen, there's nobody in the Christian movement besides probably Peter and Jesus that had more impact, more influence than Paul. And Paul writes a passage in Romans. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got the Venture Church app, go ahead and get there. It's Romans 7. Romans 7. Where he lays out, he just begins to explain the same thing this little first grader was saying on the playground. Why he does the things he does and how he struggles. And so as we bring this series to a close, I want you to be encouraged today. Because Paul, if there was ever a good Christian, wrote 13 letters, half of the New Testament. Started 14 different churches. Was known as the chief of sinners. Went on three different missionary journeys. He wrote this passage. And what he's going to say is sometimes I do the things I wish I didn't do. And that sounds like me, and I'd be willing to bet that sounds like you. So let's read together. Here we go. Romans 7, is 15 through 20. And I want to go ahead and tell you this verse, it's like a tongue twister. So if I mess up, y'all give me some grace, okay? Here we go. Romans 7, 15 through 20. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin that's living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, ready, here we go, amen, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin that's living in me. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Sure. Right? Man, but listen, as tough as that passage is to read, it's refreshing to hear. Because Paul is saying what you and I think all the time. How in the world can I stop doing the things that I wish I didn't do? i want to talk about that today and i want to start with this. The first thing to do, if you want to quit doing the things you wish you wouldn't do, is to acknowledge that God can't heal what you won't confess. God can't heal what you won't confess. He just can't because you're holding it in. You're not letting God work in an area of your life. If you're not honest with God, then it's difficult for God to move. I'm going to tell you a sign of true spiritual maturity. Now, this is going to shock you because there's a part of us that thinks the more mature I am, the less I still struggle with sin. There's probably a side of that that maybe there's a little bit of truth in that, yes. But there's more truth to say the more mature I am in my faith, the more honest I am with my struggles. The more mature I am in my faith, the more aware I am that I am in a battle daily against my flesh, the sinful nature, or the code. And if we're going to break the code, then there has to be something in us that acknowledges that we're in a battle. And here's where the code gets tricky. Because all of our lives, you know this if you have a young child, the code, our sinful nature, is just natural. It's who we are. It's our flesh. And in order to break the code, in order to quit doing the things we wish we wouldn't do, then we've got to be honest with God about the struggles that we're facing. One of the things that preachers have really just honestly, we say this a lot, have done a really poor job of, It's making us think that our Christianity, our faith, is all about a decision whether we're going to be in heaven or hell. And is that a part of coming to faith and believing in Christ? Yes. But there's also a part about coming to faith and believing in Christ where we now have strength. We can break the code, we can declare victories day by day against the sin that so easily entangles us. Because now we're plugged into a bigger power. It's not just about the code, it's not just about our flesh. Now, as followers of Christ, we can have strength because we have a walk, we have a relationship, we've had an encounter with Jesus. Listen, you guys ever seen the uh, defibrillators? (laughs) I act like I've seen them. I've never really seen them. But I've seen them on the hospital shows and the ER shows. And anytime someone, they've got to get their attention, they've got to bring them back, there's a moment where they have to shock them. And it's something that gets that body back in rhythm. It's almost like their heart's out of rhythm. It's almost like they're losing them. And they're there, to bring them back, there has to be something that gets their attention. So, and that's how it was for Paul. Read it in Acts 9. He was riding in and he got knocked off his horse. It was a moment of illumination. I mean, God showed up. There's a bright light. You can read it. Acts 9. And it was something that God used to get Paul's attention. It was like a defibrillator that shocked him. Listen, you've had that experience. Maybe it was a diagnosis. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a pregnancy. Maybe it was a fight that all of a sudden got your attention. Maybe it was a bill that came in the mail. Maybe it was a mentor that spoke truth into you. Maybe it was a message that you heard. Maybe it was a song. Jesus, Jesus. And as you sat there and sang that, there was a moment that you just felt something different. See, God can use all of those things to get our attention. Something that shocks us for just a moment and gets us out of the code, out of the sinful nature that we've always been in, out of the routine and makes us look at things a little bit differently and it's God's way of getting our attention. And once He's got our attention, we can be honest with God and we can do, begin to do business. Number two, if you're going to stop doing the things that you wish you didn't do, you've got to invite Jesus into your space. Ah, you're going to tell me I need to come more often. I well, would love for you to come more often. One of the things we talked about, though, this week in my men's group was the difference between quality time and quantity time. Could you come more often? Sure. But that's not really what got Paul's attention. What got Paul's attention was when Jesus came into his space in his life and he began to work with God. He began to communicate. He began to talk to God. For a moment there, Paul couldn't see. And it was just he and God that were in interaction. There's something about if we're going to begin to do the things that we want to do, if we're going to be able to say yes when we really want to say yes and say no when we really want to say no, if we're going to plug into a bigger power and we're going to experience the strength that Jesus offers us, it's not just that we need to come to venture more often. It's that when we're here and when we're in our everyday life, that we really have a relationship and a connection and a walk with God. Man, in that we begin to find strength. And that, we begin to find power to make it through and to face some of these things that so easily pull us off, the sin that so easily entangles us. But here's what happens, because it happens to me. We have a moment of illumination, right? We have a moment where we begin to see God. God wakes us up, a disease, a diagnosis, a divorce, whatever it is, something that shocks us into action. you think about it, it's it's almost like that moment, the one that comes to my mind is like, you know, you used to always sit next to this girl in, in, in maybe upper elementary or middle school she was always your friend and then all of a sudden you look over and there's something that's like, whoa, this is a really pretty girl. It's like, a, like the light just goes off and you begin to see her differently. There's got to be a moment that you see your walk with Christ differently. But listen, listen, because this is what the enemy does. Remember, he's the father of lies. He's the accuser. And so here you go. You finally have that moment, like Paul, knocked off your horse. Maybe you weren't knocked off your horse, but something happened. And you're beginning to walk with God. You're beginning to commune with Him. You're beginning to find some strength. You're beginning to build some relationship. And then that little voice, the accuser, is in the back of your head saying, Wait, wait, wait. Don't you remember? This isn't the real you. The real you is the one that walked through this. The real you is the one that told this lie. The real you is the one that has this label over them. The real you is the one that's divorced and is never going to recover. The real you is the one that's in such debt you're never going to get out of it. The real you is the one that's addicted to pornography, and you're never going to get past it. Sin, said, that's the accuser. That's what he does. That's the father of lies. That's the hope stealer. I talked to somebody at recovery two weeks ago, and he's been a year free of addiction. He spent most of his adult life being addicted. Almost killed himself, literally. And I said, how did you do it? How did you finally turn the corner? He said, you know what? I found hope. He said, I had lost hope. And he said, now I have found hope. Some of you, you're here, and you've made that turn, and you're beginning to walk. But the hope stealer, the enemy, the voice in your head saying that you're never going to recover. You're never going to be all that you could be in Christ. And what I'm here to tell you is that is so far from the truth. That is not the gospel. Listen to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age, the enemy, he's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light. That's where many of you are. But what Jesus said when he was on that cross and he laid down his life, he spoke these words. He said, it is finished. And what he meant by that was not that he's just choosing to die in that moment. What he meant was, I have now set the captives free. I've gone to hell and back to release any of you that are in in persecution. Any of you that can't see the light, that can't find hope. If your eyes have been blinded, it's finished now because I'm choosing to die and I'm going to conquer death. There is no such thing as a hopeless Christian. You might have lost hope in the season and the stage of life you're in. But when Jesus said it's finished, he said, I'm going to conquer death. And you're always going to have hope because it's about what I've done on the cross for you. No matter what you're facing, he's saying, listen, no, 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 it's finished. That's the enemy. That's the accuser. You can have hope today. Because I said, and I rose from the dead. And when I did that, I provided a way for you. But the enemy keeps coming at us. I get it. I battle against the code I battle against my flesh all the time. And the way we want to end this series, real practical, is I want to tell you the three areas that the enemy always gets me. I'll tell you the three areas that I've got to be real intentional to break the code because it's just natural for me. The sinful nature is just real natural in these three areas of my life. And if I don't do something intentional, it'll take me places that I don't want to go. The first one is your thoughts. The first one is your thoughts. Have you ever paid much attention on your car? You've got your miles per hour. Right next to it is your RPMs. I want your thoughts to be, you ready for this? This is real creative. Your TPMs. Your thoughts per minute. I want you to begin thinking about and kind of monitoring your thoughts. Every time you hit that gas, those RPMs. I want you to think about what that would be like for your thoughts. Where do they go? How fast are they racing? Where are your thoughts in this moment? Your TPMs. One of the reasons we do what we do not want to do is that our thoughts are taking us places we don't want to go. Think about that with me. You know, this uh, just this week, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, uh, I love it when my wife does this. She called me, and she was like, hey, we're having car problems. Let's trade. <laughs> like, okay. Let me have the one that's not working. And so I took the one that wasn't working because I'm such a good mechanic. And finally, I just took it to the shop. And she was like, I, if I can get you in it, you're going to get it fixed. That's a bad husband. but So I took the car to the shop, and... It was doing something weird, and I had to leave it at the, at, the, at the mechanic shop. But I had a meeting that same day. And so for the first time, I've never done this. I jumped on my phone and downloaded the Uber app. And I waited, and I requested an Uber to come pick me up. And so the only thing I knew about the Uber was it was going to be in a black four-door car. And so I stood right outside the mechanic shop, and I just began to look. I was on Highway 98, and I began to watch. And every black four-door car that pulled in, I kind of started heading that way and then thought, that's not the Uber right? It was like every car that pulled in, I went on a little ride with it in my mind, and then I backed off. That's not the right one. Every thought that came in, I began to think, I wonder if this is it, I wonder if this is it, and then I pulled back off. That's how we are with our thoughts. We take every thought that comes into our mind for a little ride. And then we think, is this a good thought or a bad thought? And then we think, well, where did this thought take us? Proverbs warned us about this. He said in Proverbs 25, 28, whoever has no rule over his own thoughts, his spirit, is like a city with broken down walls. And you don't have to stay with bad thoughts any more than you have to stay with a bad Uber ride. Some of our thoughts that are coming in our minds, we've got to let them go because here's the problem. You and me have over 500 thoughts a day. 500 thoughts a day. And each thought stays with us on average, you ready? For 14 seconds. talking to a lady today whose son was going off to college. She talked about all the fears that were in, his mind, in her mind as her only son went off to college. Many of you, got, you've got kids that are beginning to drive, and every time they walk out of the door with those car keys, your thoughts take off. Fourteen seconds. It's a long time to think about what you would do while you're in a fight with your husband or your wife. Fourteen seconds, that's a long time to be in the dorm room alone and have dark thoughts coming through your mind. Fourteen seconds in the carpool line, it's a lot longer than fourteen seconds in the carpool line I sit in. But fourteen seconds, (laughs) it's a long time to have no boundaries on your thoughts. If we're going to begin to say yes, when we really want to say yes, if we're going to break the sinful nature that we're up against, we're going to have to have walls, we're going to have to have boundaries as to where we let our thoughts go. Number two, would you change your words? Words have so much power. Have you ever thought about the fact that God chose words to speak the world into existence? I mean think about all the different things God could have done to speak the world into existence, to to create the ocean and the stars and to create us. He could have sneezed, he could have snapped, he could have thought it. But God chose to use words. Why? Because words have power. It's no different in the New Testament. Think about the long-distance miracle. I love this. We preached on it not long ago in the miracles series. But the Roman official comes running up to Jesus and says, hey, look, I've got a servant who's down. He's my right-hand man. Would you heal him? Come on, come with me. Jesus gets stuck in all these different moments. And finally, the Roman official runs home, checks on his son. And then he thinks, oh, wait a minute. I could just send word back to Jesus. I mean, why does Jesus have to be here? He could just use words. Tells Jesus that. And Jesus says, your faith has healed him. He just used words. Words have so much power. Words are like banners over our lives. Just before this experience, I was sitting out there in the atrium. One of the girls, one of the young couples that are in my growth group came up to me and said, We're pregnant. 13 weeks. And I said, What's going to be your little daughter's name? What's going to be the word that we call this little girl? She said, Colin. I said, Well, let's pray for Colin right now. So many of you have given yourself a word, you're addicted, you're divorced, you're hopeless, you're lost, and that's the word that you keep telling yourself. Can I tell you something? You need to fire yourself. That's not what God says about you. That's not what God thinks when he sees you. Hopeless, that's impossible. That might be what the enemy has told you. But that's not the word that God has for you. Listen, I want to encourage you. When it comes to words, words are like toothpaste. Once they're out there, you can't get it back. And we got to monitor the words that we're using. They're either life or death, Proverbs tells us. And Listen, don't don't be discouraged. I'm not getting down on you. I'm so bad at this. I, I vomit words. I feel them coming like a stomach bug. And I can't stop them sometimes. Paul says he did things he wished he didn't do. Peter, think about Peter. Peter was in the garden before they came and took Jesus. And Peter stood up with his words and with his actions and he defended Jesus. Right after that, they take him and they put Jesus on trial. And what what happens? Remember what Peter did? Three different times with his words. He says, I didn't know him. Right after that, 50 days later, Peter with his words begins to preach. And he leads all these people to the Lord at Pentecost. What's the deal, man. Our words are so powerful, but you and I both struggle with our words. Peter struggled with his words, but if we're going to break the code, then we're going to have to watch the 16,000 words we use a day because those 16,000 are either life-giving or they're life-taking. Proverbs thirteen three says, He who guards his lips guards his life. One of the things I love about Paul, and you know this, many of you already know this, Paul used to be Saul. But when things changed in Saul's life and he developed a relationship with the Lord, he had an encounter, he was honest with God, he invited God into his space. There was a moment of illumination. He was knocked off his horse. What happened? His name was changed. Some of you need to change names. I don't know if we can still do that today, but we need to. Because your life has changed. Your values have changed. The way you're walking into relationships, we had a guy that was baptized at 9.30, and he said, everything about me's changed. He was a military guy. He's been on three different deployments. He's been in a lot, he's been in some dark places. Man, I said, I wanted to say, hey, we just need to change your name because everything about you changed, brother. He said, Yeah, it has but you're still using the same name. You're still using the same word for your feelings, for your emotions. Generations have talked this way, so you talk that same way. Your daddy spoke this way to his wife, so you speak that way to your wife. Your coach spoke this way to his players, so you speak that way to your players. Man, there's something powerful about words. You gotta change your words. Number three, if we're gonna start doing the things we really want to do, if we're gonna quit doing the things we don't want to do, number three, you gotta halter your habits. Now, I think it's funny to use this word, halter, because I'm acting like I know a lot about horses. My daughter went to horse camp, so maybe that makes me qualified, but the one thing about horses is they'll take you to the barn. They'll take you to water, because that's their habits. That's where they want to go. But there's a season with training a horse, as I understand, or any of us could do this, where if we want to take a horse in a different direction, then we can grab the halter and we can lead him where we want him to go. I tell you it's going to have to be like that with your habits? Because habits are your routine. I get this. Listen, my alarm goes off at the same time most every morning. I jump in the shower. I get on my porch. I begin to read the Bible for just a second. I go wake up my kids. We cook breakfast. I take them to school. I go to work. I try to work out a little bit. I take them to practice. We come home and eat supper. We tell them a Bible story. We pray with them. We put them to bed. I say, hello, wife. Watch sports Center, I go to bed. Walk up the next day. What do I do? Get up at the same time. It's the same thing. It's my habits. It's what I do every day. You have habits. It's why when you're driving to the grocery store, you show up at work. (laughs) Why'd you do that? Because your habits. You know, you just get in this motion. Our habits are what we do. But here's the problem. Many of you are like Paul. And you've changed your life dramatically. You're stepping into who God's called you to be. But you're still in the life habits of who you used to be. And man, if we're going to break the code of our sinful nature that starts down in our toes when we were born and goes all the way through our life until we have this encounter, then we have to change our habits. How do I know that? Duke University did a study. Their study revealed that 40% of all that we do is not choices that we make, but it's habits that we set. Now that's intimidating to think about. 40% of your day is not decisions that you're making. It's just habits you've put in place. If we're going to break the code then we're going to have to start with some new habits. Your desire for comfort, for routine, for the norm will battle against your obedience to change your habits now. Driving to school I went to uh, Hattiesburg High and on the way to Hattiesburg High, Hattiesburg High like most of your schools always started at the same time and so on my way to school I'd always have the same programming on the radio, you should listen to the radio and there was a guy named, if you remember him, his name was Paul Harvey I love Paul Harvey and Paul Harvey had some of the most incredible stories and the thing about Paul Harvey, if you didn't listen to him, he would tell the story and there was always a line that Paul Harvey used and here it is, you ready? help me with it, now you know the rest of the story and I've started thinking about that because I love that and I love thinking about what's going to be the rest of the story I I say thinking about some of the guys in the Bible Wouldn't you love to know the rest of the story for the guy that's on the mat, that the four friends lower him down in front of Jesus, and Jesus heals him, and that's all we know. I mean, we don't know what else happens in his life. Think about the demonic man, the man that was possessed by demons. And Jesus has this encounter with him, and he cast all the demons out of his life. I mean, don't you want to know what happens from here? What's the rest of the story from him? What about the little boy who God uses, Jesus uses to feed thousands on the hillside, and he just gives his fish and his bread What happened from him from there? I love this about Paul because we know Saul turned into Paul. We know the rest of the story for him. I love this about Peter. We know that Peter denied Christ with his words. It was an epic failure. But we know the rest of the story. Jesus says, I'm going to build the church on you. Here's the question. You know where I'm going to be. What's going to be the rest of your story? I mean, if Paul Harvey was doing your story and he tells your whole life. Where's going to be the moment that you realize, you know what? I don't have to always be the same husband that I've been. I can change. I don't have to be the same student that's always struggled with this. I can change. I don't have to have the same habits that my father had. I can have different habits. What's going to be the rest of your story? See, I love that about the gospel because we can see that God's always in the business of changing our stories. Listen, I don't want you to be confused. This series that we've been in. We spent four weeks talking about the code, source code. Source code, this series, it's it's really, a lot of it's been about sin. But can I tell you something? You don't need four weeks for us to tell you that you struggle with sin. I don't need four weeks for you to preach on sin. I know I struggle with sin. The reason we've spent all this time on this series is so that you would hear so clearly the rest of the story. The passage we read today is in Romans 7. The rest of the story is in Romans 8. And it's a verse that you need to tattoo on your heart, mind, and soul. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's no mean? Every language, it means no Listen, that is your verse, that is my verse. When I struggle with my words, when I say things like, Peter, that I should not say, I fall back on that verse. When I say yes, and I should have said no, and I say no, and I know God was telling me to say yes, I need to quote that verse. The rest of the story for me is that there's no condemnation for Christ. What's the rest of your story? Were you divorced? Yes. Does it end there? No. Did you struggle with addiction? Have you been addicted to porn or whatever chemical or whatever drug you're taking? Is there a story beyond this? Yes. Have you struggled with pride or with honesty? Yes. Have you always been a workaholic? But can your story change? What's going to be the rest of your story? Listen, on all our campuses, wherever you're watching, I want you to hear this. This is the whole sermon in one sentence. It's never too late to be who you might have been in Christ. You've got to pray with me. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that we can celebrate the rest of the story. That the rest of the story really isn't about what we've done, but it's about what you did. That the story didn't end with the cross. That the story really just began with Easter. That, God, we celebrate a Savior who is risen. That, God, we can look at these guys in the Bible and we can find hope. We can find healing. We can re-enter the game because we know that, God, you've never given up on us. And your word is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that we could begin to hear you. We would invite you into our space. We would be honest and transparent about the struggles we feel. And, God, we would engage in this battle against our sinful nature, against the code. God, help us begin to reset our thoughts. Help us begin to use words that are life-giving. And God, help us set habits that would lead us closer to you, not farther from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.